Here we go. If I could open up your Bible to Psalms 127 and 128. Little boy was asked, what does your father do for a living? And he said to the teacher, he's a magician. He, you know, does tricks. He saws people in half and stuff like that. And so he asked, well, how many siblings do you have? Well, I have uh, two half-brothers and two half-sisters. <laughs> Is that a bad one or what? <laughs> Are you going to use that one next time? You... No, probably not, huh? Boy, I tell you, you heard about the kid that wanted to surprise his father for Father's Day, so made him a bowl of cereal. But as he was making the cereal, instead of putting just milk in it, he accidentally put some soap in it. He said, did your father get mad? And the son said, well, let's just say he was foaming at the mouth. <laughs> How about that one, Ray? No? Let's go on. Okay, what do you got? As you look at the Bible and you ask yourself this, you know, and as a father, I ask myself this, you know, what does God require of parents? You know, oftentimes we put a lot of guilt on our parents for the way the children turn out. I mean, think about this for a moment. This is a sobering thought. What do you think Adolf Hitler's mother was thinking as she was raising her son? Do you think one day he's going to grow up and do what he did? I mean, think about that for a moment. And oftentimes we put this pressure upon parents that, you know, you need to do this, this, and this, and everything is going to turn out okay, and they're going to live for God. And we know that that's not true. And we're hearing more and more of children do things, and you say, yep, it was the parents that did it. But really, we have to look at our own hearts. What does God require of me? There isn't a week that goes by that I don't feel as some kind of a failure as a father. I fail my children. And they know it. I'm glad they didn't give testimony of it this morning, but they could have. And they could have spoke a long time about it. There isn't a week that goes by that they don't see some kind of failure in me. Or something that I have done that hasn't represented God in the way that I should. And so what, what does God require of us as parents? Do we need to make sure if it's just was ABC, you know, just do this and all of a sudden they're going to turn out right? Wouldn't that be great if his word said that? But there are things that God would want of us. And as I look at Psalm 127 and 128, these are my favorite Psalms when it comes to parenting and, and cultivating a, a, a home that, that honors and glorifies the Lord. I want you to notice this here. Cultivating a godly home. I'm just gonna, I'm, I won't speak long because Ellie doesn't want me to, but here, we'll go, we'll go quick. And she's a pastor's daughter and she went forward, but I guess she didn't get right, totally right with God. So we gotta keep praying for her too, you know. And, but really what, and this, and this sounds cliche, and we're going to really talk about what it means, but the first thing we ought to do is God calls us to make Him the center of our home. What, is, what does that mean? Look at Psalm 127, verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, 
They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. And really, if you ask any parent, the, the, the greatest desires they have in their heart is to provide for their family. I mean, they want to provide. A father wants to provide for his children. I remember, I remember the day me and Katie were on the computer looking at tickets in Argentina. This was kind of fun. And it's November of uh, 2014. And I said, okay, here we go. And we hit enter and we bought tickets. And that meant, you know what that meant? We were leaving Argentina. We were leaving our salary, everything that we had. And we were coming back to the States. I remember what she said to me. What are we going to do now? And I looked at her as any... Man would and said, I don't know. <laughs> I had no clue. Our last day with the mission was June 30th. Our first day pastoring here was June 29th. God worked that out. But in November, I had no clue. We want to provide for our families, we want to protect our families. You know, and that's why we go through extremes and we say no one's going to mess with our kids. And we put the signs up, come in here and you're dead. You know, you walk in here and you're gone. I got a rifle waiting for you, baby. Come on in here. You know, I'm going to protect my family. I got everything in. Nobody's going to mess with my family. We're men. We want to provide. We want to protect. And that's what we want to do. But look what, the, look what the verse says. Unless the Lord builds the house. Now, God's not going to come with a hammer and say, come here, I'm going to help you build your house. The word build there means to care for, to, to, to provide for. It's, it's what the Hebrews use. It talks about a woman that builds her house with wisdom, but the foolish woman, woman destroys her house with foolishness. And so unless the Lord cares for the house, unless the Lord guards the city, it's, it's so interesting because back then, you know how they guarded the city of Jerusalem? They guarded it with what? Walls. Now they guard it with what? Weapons. Shoot nuclear weapons at them, they're going to shoot the bombs right back at you. Amazing where we've come, but they're still doing what? Guarding the city. It says, unless the Lord builds the house, unless the Lord guards the city, what happens? We do it in vain. Unless God is involved in it. We've seen people who work like crazy. We've seen people leave countries so that they can make a living somewhere else and provide for their families. We've seen that. Our grandparents, my grandparents have done that. They left the, left Italy to come to the promised land, New York City, and be there and, and, and provide. We've seen people go through great extremes without God. He didn't do that with God. He didn't pray before he left Italy to come to the United States to provide for his family. He did it without God. We see people do this all the time that stay awake and try to keep things protected without God. But here's what it says. Unless the Lord does it, unless the Lord is involved in it. So my question is, is how do we keep the Lord involved in our homes? And here's how. We fill our home with prayer. We come before God and we say, God, no matter how hard I work or no matter how hard I protect, unless you do it, it's in vain. We depend upon God in prayer. We fill our home with prayer. We allow, we allow our home, we fill our home with scripture. 
And this doesn't mean 10 minutes at night. All right, kids, let's get together. We're going to study the Bible. Sit down and be quiet. Stop it. We're going to study the Bible. No, it means that we talk about the Scriptures when the opportunities come up. And they do come up. We fill the home with, with the Word. We fill the home with grace. Do children make mistakes? You better believe it. Except mine. <laughs> not one amen. Not even from the front row. Here they are. But really, this got me because oftentimes we try to motivate our children with three things. We motivate them with shame, we motivate them with fear, and we motivate them with rewards. Oh, just do this and I'll give you this. But really, we need to motivate them with grace. That the Lord Jesus has died for them, was buried and rose again, and He forgives if we come to Him. But there's another thing that we need to fill our homes with. And here's speaking to all the families here. We need to fill our homes with a balanced schedule. Look at verse 2 here for a moment. It is vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Here's my fear that happens to us even as young families or, or even older families. We get so busy doing so many things that we miss each other. And we're busy running to this event and doing this event. And we got this going on and we got that going on. And we just don't have enough time and we got everything going on. And then we don't have each other. I, I remember when we, we started a church in Argentina. I was going nuts. I was up and early. I was late at night. And, and Johnny kept saying, Dad, can we play? Tomorrow, son. Tomorrow, son. And then he was carrying a folder in his arms one day. And Katie saw him and said, Johnny, what's that folder for? Well, I want to be a pastor like Daddy. And then he said this, so I have no time for my kids. Ooh. Here I am saying I would never do that. I've seen professors do that. I've seen other pastors do that. I said I would never do that. And yet here I was living that. So busy doing good things that I had no time to be with them. It says it's vain, it's empty to, to rise up early, to, to work yourself to death, to worry about all these things, to how am I going to provide, how am I going to protect, to eat bread. Notice this, you're going to eat bread, you will provide. I've seen people give many things to their children, but never give themselves. I'll never forget at a funeral, this woman who had everything said to the pastor, he gave me everything but himself, and now he's gone. You eat the bread of painful labors. And look what it says in verse 2. For he gives his beloved even in his sleep. You know what that's saying? Trust in God and God will give you everything that you need. Maybe not everything you want, but everything that you need. One of the things that I appreciate about my father-in-law, and there's, there's a list, it's short, but there's a list. <laughs> As he would say, you know, I could have had better jobs and made more money and got more things, but I, choose not, I chose not to have that so I can be with my family. I appreciate that about him. That speaks a lot. But yet we have younger families that go crazy trying to provide and trying to do these things, and they don't even have each other. 
Let's not miss that. We need to fill our homes with a balanced schedule. We need to keep Him central. We need to say, God, I trust in You. And I believe in You. Notice this, this next thing here. Uh, God wants us to see children as He sees them. Alright, this is a great question. What is the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of your children? Anybody want to mention? What's the first word that comes to your mind when you Joy. think of your children? What? Joy. Joy. Oh, it's spiritual here. Anybody else? Stinky. What? Stinky, stinky huh? Oh, stinky. Oh, I thought stinky. I was like, I know you're still in the changing diaper time, but sticky. So explain that sticky, Cam. You got me on that one. Oh. That was a spiritual answer. All right, let's go on. Anybody else got a word that they think of when they think of their children? And a word, that first word that comes to your mind. Let me tell you my nickname when I was a kid. Scooch. Anybody know what scooch means? That's an Italian word, by the way. I thought that was a cute name. Oh, scooch, scooch, come here, scooch, scooch. You know what scooch, scooch means in Italian? Pain in the neck. <laughs> my mother was calling me a pain in the neck my whole life. I thought this was you know, a little cute scooch, scooch. Come here, scooch, scooch. Give me a hug and a kiss. I didn't know. I didn't find out until I was 25 what scooch meant. I was devastated. I was a pain in the neck. Is that what you think of your kids? Sometimes, huh? <laughs> Just call them Scooch now. They won't even know what you're calling them. Watch this. Look at what the Bible, how they describes what children are. Behold, the children are a what? A gift. That's an interesting Hebrew word. It means property, possession. They're gods. You know what else it means? That no child is an accident. Don't ever say to your kid, you know, I didn't want to have you. You just came. You were an accident. No child is an accident. They're all gifts from God. Every one of them. And they belong to Him. That changes our perspective on things. They're not mine. They're His. They've been gifted to us. And not only that, it says the fruit of the womb is what? A reward. Some people say, God gave me that kid because he's punishing me and he wants to punish me. No, no child is a punishment. Child is a reward. A gift, a possession of God, a reward from God. And notice the next thing they are in verse 4. They're arrows. This, this first thing I think of, arrows in the hand of a warrior. Excuse my unsanctified mind here. I think of Rambo. <laughs> all right, come on. Let's see how many spiritual. How many watched Rambo before? Come on. I mean, all right, sinner, sinner, sinner. Get right with God. All right, here we go. But I mean, Rambo, you never see Rambo go, you know, hey, yo, you know, I gotta, I gotta kill like 25 people today, you know what I mean? You know, so Arrow, go kill him. What does he do? Zip. Pulls out the arrow, directs it, boom, and blows the thing up. <laughs> Arrows need to be directed. No kid comes out of the womb saying, I know what I want out of my life, don't even bother me, I got it all figured out. In fact, let's look what the Bible says about their hearts. Proverbs 22.15 says, Foolishness is bound up where? In the heart of a child. How about that? Isn't that a great verse? Now be careful showing them that because they may get a little offended. But foolishness, they don't know as much as they think they know. And every heart is inclined to do what is wrong. That's how we're born. And so what do we ought to do? The rod of discipline will remove it. We ought to correct and direct them. That's work. 
That's a lot of work. And so what he's saying here in this, in this great verse here, he's saying each child therefore is to be cherished as a gift, prized as a reward, and directed as an arrow. We, we, we cherish them. We prize them. They're a wonderful reward. We direct them. That's a, a wonderful thing. And notice the next verse that people use out of context. Verse 5. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. So here's what they do. Did you know there was actually a movement called the Quiverful Movement? You ever hear of that one? And so really, it's, it's a movement out there. That it says this. this is, we have to have as many children as we can so that we can redeem the culture. So let's just have as many children as we can. Let's just keep having them. So I used to joke with people before we got married, we're going to have 16 kids. And everybody's like, you're never going to find a wife. <laughs> and then me and Katie, when we got married, we were going to have seven kids. Right? And then we had Ellie. Now we were down to five kids. <laughs> And then we had Johnny. Now we were down to three kids. And then we had Joshua. And we we're like, we're done. We're done. This is it. Because Joshua, his first year, would not let us sleep at all. He kept us on our toes. And his little diaper, the noises. Remember those? Well, you probably hear, remember the noise? Not the noises of going to the bathroom, but the noises of coming into our bedroom. We would hear him coming. Uh, here he comes again. And he was so cute. He had his green blankie. And he knew that we wouldn't want him in the room because he was there every night. So he would put the green blankie next to the door like this, like a flag. Can I come in? And when you saw the green blankie, you're like, come on in. And he'd jump on the bed. We weren't going to have our quiver full of them. I like that much. This quiverful movement doesn't take two things into account. The health of the mother. It takes a lot of a mother to have a child. Any amens there? Keep, keep having children after child after child. The health of the mother. Another thing they don't take into consideration, the cost of a child. You know, you know it's very interesting that uh, somebody did a study here that it takes 250, this was back years ago, $250,000 to raise a kid. Times that by four, a million dollars I got in my home. I'm going to have to take five side churches to do this. <laughs> this ain't easy. They cost a lot. But this quiverful uh, took the verse out of context. Look what it says. It says, happy is the man. Why is he happy? They won't be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. In other words, their children are going to be there to provide for them and to defend them and to help them. You know what's wonderful about having multiple kids? As you grow older, they're there for you. That's what I appreciate about my in-laws, that they have Grandma Joy living with them. Now, they're not going to come and live with us, but at least they have Grandma Joy living with them. No, we're there for them. That's our responsibility. And it's wonderful when you raise children and they're there for them. I praise God I have two boys. As they grow older and get bigger, mess with me, you're going to mess with them. And you ain't going to beat me, Johnny, and Joshua together. You may get me, but you ain't getting all three of us together. Forget about it. We're going to knock you down in two moments. My dad, he didn't mess with my dad and my brother. Me, I was nothing to help. But my dad and my he didn't mess with them. They're there to defend them. They're there to do that. 
So here's what's happening, and, and I want you to look at this. This is, this is amazing. We need to look at children as God looks at them. They're not scritches, they're gifts, they're rewards, they're, they're, they're arrows that need to be directed. But here's a thing. Why are families so miserable today? You ever think about that? What's missing in the home? Why are families? Look at this verse here. Here's what's missing. God calls us to live in reverential fear of Him. Look at this next verse. How blessed is everyone who does what? Fears the Lord. How blessed is everyone who walks in His ways. This is interesting because in this psalm, four times it's mentioned the word blessed. The word asha means to be happy. And so what he's saying here in verse 1, it's in the plural. This guy is really happy. This family is really happy. They are so happy. They, are, they have joy. Why do they have joy? Because they have many kids. No. Why do they have joy? What does it say here in the verse? It says, happy is the man who what? Fears the Lord. So here's what this verse is saying. It's saying you want a happy home. You want to have a happy home. Here's what it does. Parents, live in fear of God. You say, does that mean that I should be scared that he's going to beat me up? No. The fear of God is this intense desire to please him no matter what. And so what this means, and this verse really helps me, is my joy, as much as it comes from my children, that's not the source of my joy. The source of my joy is my God. Too many people let their children take their joy away. Oh, they're doing this. The joy is gone. Or the joy is there when they're living right. The joy is gone when they're not living right. The joy is there when they make good decisions. The joy is gone when they're not making good decisions. And here's what the Bible's saying. We can have joy all the time because our joy is in a God who never changes. Find our identity in Him. Not in them. As wonderful as they are, their gifts, their rewards, their arrows, their scutches. But you know what? Our joy should not come directly just from them. Happy is the person who has a fear of the Lord, who's living for God, who has this intense desire to God. I never forget the wedding that I went to, and 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 the pastor looked at the looked at the bride and said, "You know what you need to do? You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." And then looked at the girl, "You need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind." That's the best thing you can do for your spouse, and that's the best thing you can do for your children. You say, why? How does that change? Well, look at this. Look at how it affects everything. Our work. Look at verse 2 here. You're, when you eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be what? Happy. And it will be well with you. Remember the, in Psalm 127, verse 2, you eat and it's painful. But here you eat and it's happy. Why? The work is easier? No, the work isn't easier because your joy is in God. Look at your wife. Look at this next verse. Your wife here. She, she, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. That's kind of a nice word to call your wife. Hey, vine. Anybody call their wives vine? Now one person called her. Better not call your wife vine. You may get in trouble. You say, what a, what a derogatory word. Vine. No, it's not. Anybody else in the Bible called the vine? Jesus. 
Isn't it interesting in Genesis when it says, I will make a help me from, I'll make a helper. It's the same word used of God later on. So in some sense, the woman, what an honor it is that she has a responsibility and a privilege and a position of a helper like God in the home. That's what it's saying. And look what it says in verse 3. She's within your house. She likes to be home. Nothing wrong with having a job outside the home, but it's really sad when you, when you hear of mothers and wives that don't want to be home. This one does want to be home. She enjoys it. Why? Because her husband fears the Lord. And then your children are like olive plants. I, I love that, the womb. Your children are like olive plants. What does that mean? Oh, you ready for this? It means it takes time for them to mature. And guess what? 50, 60 years ago, people matured in their teens. They reached puberty and then all of a sudden they started getting jobs and they started being responsible. But now, as, as we go on and on, they started reaching maturity in their 20s. And now, are you ready for this? The world we live in now, they reach maturity in their 30s. My grandchildren's kids are going to reach maturity in their 50s. The way we're going. I told Katie, she, Katie's an amazing woman. I said to her, hon, why don't we downsize now? I mean, Ellie's going to college and Johnny's going to be going to college in two years. And she, she, just, she goes, but hon, they're coming back. <laughs> Any amens? <laughs> I mean, it used to be when they went off to college, I go, oh, my baby's going to college. Now it's, see you in a couple of years, you'll be back. We'll keep your room here, not only for you, but for your husband. And not only for your room and your husband, well, our grandchildren too can stay here. And then when we get into their 30s and 40s and 50s, then you can downsize. My in-laws did it right. I'll never forget the wisdom that he said to me when I asked for Katie's hand. He looked at me and said, well, I don't have to live with you. And then we got married and we moved in with him. Don't ever say that to your future in-laws. <laughs> We're home, mom and dad. And then I used to joke around, well, I loved, I loved how we didn't have to pay the electric bill. Because they did. And one day we come back and we start living with them again. And I look into the bathroom, their light bulbs missing. They were smart. They took out light bulbs so we wouldn't run up the electric bill. <laughs> You know what they call a generation now? They call it the boomerang generation. They come back. It used to be one out of ten. Nowadays, it's four out of ten. So what is it saying here? They're olive plants. They take time to mature. But here's what is an amazing verse three. It says, around your table... People have kids and they send them off to a daycare or send them off to here and send them off to there and send them off to here. They don't even want to be around their own kids. No, they're around your table. They're your responsibility. They are yours by God's grace, the gift that has been given to you, shared with you. You are responsible to train them up in the way that they go. No one else. You are. No youth pastor. No pastor. No teacher. You are. Your table. Don't forget that. 
and it takes time. They're not chia pets. You can't just throw water on them, bing, 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 and they're up and they're a plant. They're olive plants, 25, 30 years to mature. I'm right in the middle of it, praise God. 17, I got 17 more years till she finally matures. Maybe not so much. Huh? She's like, not me. I'll be mature at 19. You'll be back. <laughs> and that's okay. Welcome back. Look at what happens here. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. And I wanted to show you two quick things here. These, these verses really get me. Verse 5, it says, The Lord will bless you from Zion, and you may see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. You know what's happening to our society today? Satan is attacking it and killing it one family at a time. Destroying family after family that are so busy doing so many things, but they're not focused on God. So busy sending their children to be trained by other people, but they're not doing their own job. So busy trying to do so many things to provide and protect and they forget to include him in the place. And Satan is killing our societies one family at a time. We're watching family after family fall apart. And not only that, look at this next verse. <laughs> Indeed, may you see your children's children Yesterday we were together with, at Josh's house and my in-laws were there and they were watching their children's children play kickball and have fun. What a blessing that is. I'm not there yet. And not everyone gets to do that, by the way. Some of you know I made a promise to my father before I even had a girlfriend that my first son was going to be named John after him. I'll never forget that conversation because we were on, he was on his deathbed at the time and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and he said, you know what, just tell him his grandfather's looking down because I'm never going to see him. I remember when we went to the hospital to see whether the baby was a boy or a girl and the doctor said, it's a boy. And tears just coming down my eyes, remembering he's never going to see him. Never going to see him. Indeed, may you see your children's children. What a blessing that is. And if you're a grandparent here, show them what matters. Live in the fear of God. Show them that God is what matters. I thank the Lord as people get older in their 50s and 60s and 70s, they realize, you know what, all those pursuits that we did when we were 30s, that was dumb. Now we need to really live for God. I wish we would get that, get that in our minds before we hit that age. But indeed, may you see your children's children. Let me tell you my favorite story about my dad. I was going into my senior year of college. And no extreme has ever graduated from college. So me being in college at the time and about to graduate was one of the biggest things of his life. And so 
a year before, my, going into my senior year, he has a serious stroke. I mean, he was sick and, and dying as it was. He had a serious stroke. He couldn't move right. He couldn't talk right and all that. And here I am in Alabama, and he's in New York. And, and I, I'll never forget the call. I said, Dad, don't worry about coming to see me graduate. I know it means a lot to you, and, but you just can't do it. You're sick, Dad. You can't make it. And he goes, Jeremy, you know, he's talking with just a, a voice. He couldn't talk. Jeremy, I'm going to come and see. I said, Dad, don't worry about coming and see me, please. I graduate. Don't worry about it. He says, I'm coming to see you. So he, stroking everything, gets on a bus from New York City. Goes down to Atlanta, gets on the wrong bus to come see me graduate. Here we are waiting at the bus station for my father to come, hours, and he doesn't show up. And this is before, I'm going to date myself, before cell phones. You know, you couldn't just send him a text, where are you, Dad? I didn't know where he was. He was gone. And all of a sudden, here comes this bus. And... It opens up, and my father's the only passenger that gets off on the bus. And the bus driver looks at me, and he says, you know, your dad got on the wrong bus. I said, yeah. He goes, I drove three hours to bring him here. Yeah. So we go to graduate, and we go into the hotel together. And I'll never forget, that was the first time I ever beat my father in armrest. My dad was a big man. And I took him down in arm wrestling, and we were laughing a little bit. And I, I beat him in that, and... Um, and the next day I'm going to graduate. It rains. And so they move my graduation to a place he doesn't even know where it is. No cell phones, no nothing. Now I'm going to graduate. My dad got all the way here, wrong bus, gets to the graduation, and he's not even going to see me graduate. I said to the people, you know what? I am not going to walk. I, my dad is here. I am not going to walk. He came here for this. I'll just forget about it. Just give me the diploma. I don't care about walking. They said, Jeremy, you got to walk. I said, I'm not going to walk. And here we are in this place. And I look up, and who's there? My dad. How he found the place, I don't know. And I walked, and there he is. And after I got my diploma, I, I walked with him, and he looked at me and he stopped. And with tears in his eyes, he said, now I can die in peace. Because I saw my son graduate. That was one of the biggest things to him. You know, he didn't die right away. I thank the Lord for that. A few more years but I remember when I saw him in the hospital before he died. And he had tubes all over the place. And, and they said, he's not going to recognize you. And I went in there and I said, Dad, if you recognize me, hold my hand. And him with his little strength grabbed his hand and held my hand. And I could just hear him say, that's my son. My son. Blessed is the man who walks in the fear of the Lord. It changes everything when we're living for God. Our children may not change. They may not be different. Our work may not change. That may not be different. But what will change are our hearts. Because the only thing that matters to us is a relationship with Him. Is that your heart's desire today? I pray it is. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you and we search our own hearts, what are we living for, God? 
Are you truly the center of our home? Do we see our children as you see them? As gifts and reward and arrows? Are we walking in that awe of you, that intense desire to please you no matter what? God, I pray that right now you would change our hearts and help us to live for the things that really matter and to bring honor and glory to you. Lord, we don't know if we're going to get to see our children's children, some of us. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to you. And no matter what happens, as Josh sang, they would see Christ in us. Thank you for those wonderful examples of that in our lives. And so, Lord, help us to be that example. And when we feel like a failure and Satan tries to destroy our minds and hearts, help us to remember that it's all about grace, that you have more power to redeem them than we do to destroy them. So use our children for your honor and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you stand with us as we close the service?